Our Old Testament reading is from Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and just decrees that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from Philippians chapter 4, and pastors asked me to just go ahead and read the entirety of the rest of the chapter here. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 21st chapter. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, Jesus said, As for these things that you see, The days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. 
and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For, for these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth, and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of nations, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Okay, uh, Philippians, let's talk about this. Uh, this is the very end of the letter. Right? So Paul's um, he's saying his last goodbyes and making his last points. And last week we cut him off in the middle of one of his points. So he was saying thank you. Do you guys remember this? He, just kind of reset, Paul's in prison. The church at Philippi sends Epaphroditus with a, a gift of money. And other stuff too, probably. At one point, Paul, it's not in, it's not in uh, Philippians, Paul says, uh, thanks for a gift that somebody sent him, and the gift happens to be uh, money and clothing and some uh, books, uh, some, some papers that he wanted. So whatever they sent, by Epaphroditus sends to Paul. He's grateful for these things. Epaphroditus stays in Rome with Paul. He's in prison in Rome and hangs out with him for, there for a while, helping him out. And uh, then Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi to say thank you to the church there with the letter that we're reading now. And Paul, at the very end of the letter, Paul wants to say thank you. Remember this last week? He wants to say thank you for the gift. I appreciate the gift. I don't really need the gift. He's trying to, he's trying to walk that line of receiving hospitality and doing it in such a way that recognizes that it was super nice of you to send me that gift, but what I really need is Jesus. I, I appreciate the money and the food and the clothing. Remember, in prison in the Roman Empire, you didn't—they didn't provide money and food and clothing for you. Uh, your friends provided that for you. But I, I've learned, he says, I, I've learned to be in prison and I've learned to be free. I've learned to be hungry and I've learned to be filled. I've learned to have money and I've learned to be poor. Because I can do all these things through Jesus who strengthens me. I, I need Jesus. That's what I need. So I, I didn't, he's, he's trying to send a message to them that the gift that you gave me on a physical level, I'm not desperate for that. I didn't need that. But, now this is the reading this week. It's super important that you sent me that gift because I did need it on a deeper, more profound spiritual level. Not spiritual in the sense that like the physical is unimportant, but like we're connecting with something deeper here than just I get hungry sometimes or I'm cold at night here in prison. What you've done is extremely powerful. And so let's look at this text and uh, talk about what Paul's saying here. Paul says in verse 14, it was yet, that's kind of, that yet is, uh, you know, last week I said to you that I, wa- I, I didn't need your gift, but let me emphasize this week, he says, that it's super important. It was really, really kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians know, you, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, he means like when the gospel was first being announced to the Gentiles. 
when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Here's what he means. So, so Philippi is in Macedonia. If, if you know what Greece looks like, there's basically, there's like two parts of Greece. There's the chunk that's stuck to mainland Europe. And then there's this peninsula with this skinny little isthmus connecting it. And, uh, you know, Corinth is down there on that isthmus. That's Ikea. And the northern part is called Macedonia, or was called Macedonia. That's all part of Greece. Uh, and Philippi is up there. And Paul says, I went to Philippi and you were the only church that, how does he say it, entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving. Now that's entered into partnership in, with me in giving and receiving. That's sort of shorthand for another story that we know about Paul's life from the book of Acts and from the book of Second Corinthians. And it goes like this. But by the way, it's interesting. It's possible. Uh, this is a side note. It's possible to take the book of Acts in all of Paul's letters and start to coordinate them into a sort of a biography of Paul, which ends up being super fascinating. The thing of Paul, like sitting around writing theology, and he's actually like traveling a lot. He's making traveling arrangements, arrangements for places to stay. He's sending thank you notes to people that took care of him at the place he just left. It's really kind of fascinating. And you can see to his plan. Paul has a sort of a plan for evangelizing that's very uh, urban-centered. It's very uh, city-centered. He doesn't really mess around too much with the, with the, the uh, suburbia or the rural areas. He sticks in major cities. And, and when he was in Macedonia, he came up with this plan. He's in Philippi. He comes up with this plan. And the plan is this. Uh, there was a famine in the Levant, in the eastern side of the Mediterranean, in the 50s. And people there were having a hard time financially. And Paul came up with this plan to, in all the churches that I've planted in Greece and in what's Turkey today, in Asia Minor, I'm going to go to these churches, or I'm going to write letters to these churches and ask them to take up a collection of money. Then I'm going to go to those churches, I'm going to gather up that money, and I'm going to carry it to Jerusalem and give it to the saints who are at the, in the, the, the primarily Jewish believers who are in the church at Jerusalem. There's two reasons why he wants to do this, he says in 2 Corinthians. One is because they're having a hard time financially. So he's trying to be kind. But two, he wants to send a message to the largely Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that these Gentile Christians are on your side. They believe the same thing that you do about Jesus. They're partnering with you. In other words, this offering is becoming a sign to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem that the long-ago prophesied message that the Gentiles would someday be included in the kingdom is coming true. It's very important for Paul that the Jews in Jerusalem see that Gentile Christians are now becoming a part of this family too. Again, what do we go back to for Paul? So many times it's about reconciliation. So many times it's about this new community that God's creating and pulling all sorts of disparate people into this new community. And he says here to the Philippians, he says, you guys were the only church that initially that partnered with me in this, this giving and receiving. We're going to give money and then, I mean, we're going to receive the money and then we're going to give it to the saints at Jerusalem. In fact, if you read 2 Corinthians, Paul goes to Corinth and he says, you guys didn't give anything. Like the, the saints up north of you in Macedonia, he says in 2 Corinthians 8, they're embarrassing you because they are giving straight out of their need. They're actually worse off financially than you guys are, and they're giving, and you're not. This is not a sermon about giving. It's a sermon about what happens when we give. But this is, this is extremely important for Paul, this notion that 
By giving, we participate in the life of the gospel. And I'm not talking about like giving to the church financially. That could be a part of it, I guess. I'm talking about when we give of our own lives to each other, we're participating in the life of the gospel. And he's saying, that's what you guys did here. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica is also in Macedonia. It's just a little bit away from Philippi. He said, I didn't get as far away as like Thessalonica. I was barely out the door of Philippi and I was in Thessalonica before you started sending me gifts for myself and gifts to send to the church of Jerusalem. You guys have already, you guys have always been on top of that. And that's super important to me, he says. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. However, so that's the background. Paul doesn't value this gift, however, because it's like meeting his financial or physical or hunger needs. He values it because it's this sign, this sign that they are in the heart of the gospel, that they are a part of the kingdom now. And so verse 17, not that I seek the gift, he says. It's not that it's not necessarily that I need your money, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. When you give me gifts, when you give the church in Jerusalem gifts, that actually goes on your account. That gift is credited to you. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And we don't know, we don't exactly know what those gifts were. Financial, maybe uh, again, clothing, stuff that Paul needed. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God, in turn, will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he goes on to read the stuff that Joe read, read up. He, he's kind of uh, cleaning up there. Hello to you. Hello, to, uh, hello from people in Caesar's household here, which is a good indication that uh, Paul's mission of the gospel to Caesar's own family, which is why he wanted to go to Rome in the first place is being successful. There are converts in Caesar's family that are passing their greetings back to their brothers and sisters in Philippi. All right, that's all background. What does this have to do with us? What are we going to do with this uh, this morning? So first of all, uh, one big point here, two big points. Let's start off with the first big point. Uh, the purpose of Christianity here in Philippians, and we've talked about, we've, been, we've spent several months here in Philippians, and uh, Paul has a goal in mind when he presents the gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose of Christianity is not you getting to heaven when you die. The purpose of Christianity for Paul and Philippians is reconciled relationships. It's not that Paul doesn't think what happens to you after you die is important. But the main goal of Christianity here for Paul is, Euodia and Syntyche, I beseech you to be of the same mind in the Lord. And then here at, this, here at the end, he's going to emphasize this with this, we are living the life of the gospel in this relationship that you and I have, I give to you, you give, I give to you from, 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 uh, I give to you out of my need, you give to me out of your need. We're giving to the church in Jerusalem out of our needs. That's the life of the gospel. That's the heart of the, that's what it means to know Jesus. All right. So look if you can at verse, um, uh, 14 real quick. Do you remember in chapter three, verse 10, when Paul says, my desire is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection? in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul says, my desire is to know Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. Do you remember that? It's back in 3, verse 10. That's almost the exact same language as chapter 4, verse 14 here, when he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. That It says, it says here in, in the ESV, it says, to share my trouble. But actually, in Greek, it's the exact same verb from 3.10. It's kind of you, literally he says, it's kind of you 
to have fellowship in my trouble. Like to participate in my trouble. 310, I long to have fellowship with Jesus' sufferings. Chapter 4, verse 14, it's kind of you to have fellowship with my sufferings. See what Paul's saying here? Paul's saying is, I'm in prison now. That's where I want to be because I want to share in Jesus' sufferings. Why do I want to share in Jesus' sufferings? That seems like some sort of masochistic thing to desire. Well, Paul knows that if you want the glory of the cross, that if you want the power of the resurrection, if you want the full-fledged power of the gospel changing people's lives, you can't do that outside of the suffering of Jesus. And when we try to escape the suffering of Jesus, we're just running from the gospel. It's counterintuitive, right? It's counterintuitive that power comes through suffering. And yet that's one of the key messages of Philippians. So Paul says this, I'm in prison now. I'm sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. In other words, I'm connected with Jesus. I know Jesus because I'm sharing in his sufferings. You are having fellowship in my sufferings. And what this means is that together, all of us are having fellowship in Jesus. In other words, when you share in the sufferings of others, you're not just being nice. You're not just helping them get through a tough time. That's true. You're actually participating in the heart of Jesus. You're actually involved in the very thing that's making new creation. This is not, it's not like, so what is, what is being a Christian? It's believing A, B, and C. And then since we got to be humans here, while we're believing A, B, and C, which is the main thing, we should at least be nice to each other. We should like kind of pool our resources so if somebody needs help, we can help them. And that's actually not it. A, B, and C, the things that you believe, super important, but the goal is actually the relationship. The goal is the community. The goal is this family that, that, that Jesus is creating in himself that Paul's experiencing by suffering with Christ. And the Philippians are, are experiencing by suffering with Paul. It's this sort of shared mutual suffering. I had a conversation with, um, so I, I don't know how much to say here because it's sort of an ongoing thing. I have to have a talk with students at the high school about some inner student drama that's happening, that's creating strife, that's hurting feelings, that's making people, uh, certain people are angry, a lot of people are really uncomfortable. So I'm going to have this conversation here this week with the people that are involved. But I asked uh, one group of my seniors, and I'm looking around like Catherine's not in this, it's uh, my, uh, Catherine and Ben, it's not in the group that you're in. It was in second hour. I said, hey, what do you guys think? Like, what should I say? What should I say to these people? And they all had ideas. And most of the ideas were kind of like, you need to put your finger in their chest and you need to say you need to knock it off right now. Like you're hurting people's feelings. You're not using social media responsibly. Be a good citizen. And I, I, I'm actually going to end up saying all those things because it's important to say, hey, when you talk like this, you hurt people. And I said to them, I said, well, actually, you know what? My main bullet is going to be, my main bullet is going to be because Jesus has accepted all of us, because God has accepted all of us in Christ, we can accept each other. In fact, we have to accept each other because, oh, so my foil has been Shanna. So like, God has accepted in Jesus Shanna. God has also completely accepted in Jesus me. I have to accept, I can't say, oh, that's not important. I don't like Shanna. Like, Jesus accepts Shanna. Jesus accepts me. I have to accept Shanna. And I started, I started, I didn't even get that far is what I told you. And a bunch of them. 
In fact, there was not one dissenting voice in my group of 15 seniors who, they were all like, no, 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 you can't do that. As soon as you start saying Jesus stuff, all they're going to hear is blah, 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 Christian, blah, 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 be nice. And I was like, yeah, but that's actually the only tool I have. Now, I get what they're saying, you know, if I go in there and say, Jesus loves you, be nice to each other. Like, you, you actually have to say the law, right? You have to say, look, when you say cruel things about people, either to their face or on social media, you hurt them, you do damage to them. But I also have to say, that, look, this is the fact, is that if Jesus hasn't accepted me, if Jesus hasn't created this new community for his own sake, then, I mean, I could like scare him and say, if, you, if I find out again that you guys have said this stuff, I'm personally going to come to your house and punch you in the face. I could say that, and if they believe that, which they wouldn't, maybe I could scare them into being nice on social media. Would that actually change their hearts, though? Would that actually create a new relationship between them and the people that they've been disagreeing with? No. It might clean up behavior for a while. It might make things more comfortable for people who are kind of on the periphery of the fight. There's a certain way in which life might be more peaceful afterwards. But the goal isn't more peaceful. The goal isn't comfortable. The goal isn't let's all get along. The goal is the new community in Jesus Christ. And what that means is that the gospel has to be at the heart of these reconciled relationships. Now, maybe it's not even like a, a maybe it's not even like a damaged relationship that needs to be repaired. I think about us, St. James, I think about us a lot, you know. I mean, this could turn into a social club, right? This could turn into we all have the same sort of ideologies and opinions. We all basically like the same things. We talk the same way. We're from the same socioeconomic strata. Turns into a sort of a Lutheran social club. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with us liking the same things or not like, you know, there's not anything wrong with us disliking uh, the same thing. There's not anything wrong with us having different sort of ideologies about life. What has to bind us together is that Jesus Christ has made us one. That's what has to bind us together. Otherwise, it's just we're just trying to get along. We're just being nice to each other. And that's the goal here. The goal is sharing the fellowship of troubles. Because when we share each other's troubles and when we share each other's joys, we're sharing in the life of Christ himself. We're participating in the life of Christ himself. Okay, so how do you do this? Last big point, and then we'll be done. How do you do this? Uh, Check this out. When we give to each other in the name of Jesus, we're actually giving each other Jesus. If I meet your needs and you meet my needs, you're not just giving me your time to encourage me or your money to help me out of a bad situation. You're actually, in the name of Jesus, you're giving me Jesus himself. Jesus exists in our relationship. Let me say that again. I don't want you to hear this as like church speak at all. I want this to be as shocking as it needs to be. Jesus exists in this relationship. When Paul calls us the body of Christ, it's not a metaphor. It's not an analogy. It's the real deal. My relationship with you is how Jesus Christ lives here in Glen Carbon. How does he say it in this text? Look at verse 18. This is, I, I, I'm completely fascinated by this. I'm well supplied, Paul says, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. And now Paul's going to describe the gifts that Epaphroditus sent from them. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Fragrant offering? 
That's a, that's a weird word, isn't it? A nice-smelling offering? That's, that's Old Testament language. There's, there's 16 times in the book of Leviticus where offerings are described as fragrant, offerings that smell good. Why is this important? I mean, you guys, do, do, for those of you who have uh, read the Old Testament or thought about the Old Testament, you'll know. God, before Jesus came, God gave the people of Israel a sacrificial system where animals could be sacrificed, where grain could be sacrificed, not in order to pay for their sins. The blood of bulls and goats could never do that, Hebrews says, only Jesus. But to point the way, to give them a reminder that Jesus is coming and he's going to pay for these sins. Now, these sacrifices weren't just, it was not, think about the sacrifices. They're not like conceptual. It's not like, oh, this sacrifice, it's not something going on in your head. It's this full-bodied experience. You actually take your animal to the tabernacle or to the temple. You put your hand on the animal. The priest butchers it in front of you. The priest barbecues it on the altar in front of you. For, for most of the sacrifices, the priests are going to eat the meat. You are also, the, frequently, the sacrificer and his family and her, his or her family and friends are also going to eat the meat. So you're smelling the meat being cooked. You're tasting the meat being cooked. Forgiveness of sins is this incredibly tactile thing. It's a very visceral experience to go through the process of having your sins forgiven or the process of pointing forward towards Jesus. And so as, as, along with eating the offering, along with the concept of the offering, frequently the Old Testament will talk about the smell of the offering. It's this, 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 this experience of, of, of all of your senses coming in contact with the forgiveness of God. What those sacrifices point to, like I said, is Jesus. Jesus is going to come and do... This is, this is by, by the way, this is why Holy Communion is a visceral experience. The forgiveness, now it's not as like dramatic, it's not as noisy, it's not as messy as the Old Testament sacrificial system, but it's intended to do the same thing. It's intended to show you, to give you, the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ viscerally and physically. You see Christ, you smell Christ if you get close enough to the wine, you taste Christ, you think about Christ. All of this is happening. Okay, so this is about Jesus, right? In fact, here, let, me, let me read to you from uh, Ephesians 5 too. So uh, one of the only other times where Paul uses the phrase fragrant offering, and he's talking about Jesus. Let me read this to you. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 2, he says, and walk in love, listen to this, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, it's a reference to the cross, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Who is the fragrant offering and sacrifice to God? It's Jesus. He's the one that goes to God and says, these people are forgiven. I'm giving up my own blood to pay for them. He's the one who comes to us in Holy Communion in his word and says, these people are mine. Jesus is the fragrant offering. But, go back to Philippians 4. Look at verse 18 with me again. Keeping in mind that Jesus is the fragrant offering. Paul says, I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul uses language that's only appropriate for Jesus. Jesus is the only fragrant offering who's acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul uses language for that to talk about the gift that they gave him. Do you see what's happening here? Does everybody see what's happening? When we give to each other, we are giving to each other not niceness, not politeness, not a helping hand in a time of need. We are giving to each other the almighty creator himself in flesh. We are giving to each other Jesus. 
Do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to experience Jesus? Do you want to know what reconciliation is like? Do you want to know what this new community is like? Do you want to know what salvation is like? Do you want to know what the power of the Holy Spirit is like? Do you want to taste beforehand the glories of the new creation? In the name of Jesus, sacrifice for and love each other. Amen.